Genesis, Genesis chapter 19. On such a frigid morning as this, I want you to know that I prepared a fire and brimstone message just to warm us up, <laughs> just for you. <laughs> and you think I'm joking. No. <laughs> These events that we read about in the book of Genesis, real events that actually happened, God-ordained events, real people and they're given to us to know the history for sure. They're given to us to know God. But a lot of times what these stories do for us is give us a living illustration for things that may not be as understandable for us. So for example, when we are saved in Christ, when we are brought to faith and the Lord redeems us and, and transforms us and, and saves us, all of that work is really an invisible work. And so uh, it, it can't be really seen with our eyes. So then we read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and we get this idea of what it means to be redeemed from the wrath of God. We get this teaching uh, with our eyes of what it looks like to be a true disciple or, or what it looks like not to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We see what it means to be in Christ. All of these things that are invisible happenings, invisible traits in us, are shown to us clearly by Lot, by Sodom, and by the fire that came from heaven. So my prayer is, is that we sit up this morning and we pay attention. Because what God has written for us through Moses impacts our lives eternally. This story, we may call it, holds so much weight upon our souls. We can't afford to be distracted. So as Jesus would say, may those who have ears to hear, hear what the Lord has to say. Genesis chapter 19, starting in verse 12. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, 
lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, the city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Let us pray. Our God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. If it was not for these words, Lord, we would be lost in darkness. We'd be lost forever. We would have no life, no hope, no endurance. God, we would be chasing after everything except you. So, Father, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your gift of revelation. I thank you that how you have kept these words over all of those years for us to read today. May your Holy Spirit unite with these words and become a balm for our souls, a healing to our hearts, enlightenment to our minds, that we too, like Lot, may escape the wrath to come. In Jesus' name, amen. So these angels that had first come to Abraham revealed to him what they planned to do. Abraham interceded on behalf of those cities. And there was an agreement that if just ten righteous people could be found in all of that region, that God would spare everyone from death. But as the two angels entered the city, they only found one. They found a city that was so wicked, so destructive, that had exchanged the natural for the unnatural, no longer valuing life. They were violent. They were self-seeking by nature. And had worsened to the point that this immorality had become the very definition of their culture. That Lot was the only righteous man that could be found. And in that culture, the children would face the consequences of their father. Whether those were good or bad, 
You see lots of passages where children will, and wives will die with the man for their sin. In this case, the daughters of Lot would be rescued because of their father and his righteousness. This isn't a salvation uh, comment, but it is a comment of why the family was brought out with Lot. We're going to see that his wife was not a righteous woman. So, but he also had some sons-in-laws. They were betrothed to his daughters. So he goes to them and tells them, and this is a way in which we can see it, he's sharing the gospel with them. <laughs> Wrath of God is coming. Our sin is before the eyes of the Lord, and he's going to destroy us for all that we have done. Come with me, and you will find rescue. And as the Apostle Paul would put it, they saw it as but foolishness. They did not believe him. They thought it was a joke. They didn't take it seriously. And instead of leaving with their fiancés, they decided to stay behind. They could have escaped the destruction that was to come, but they didn't listen. They did not have ears to hear. These two were unrighteous. They didn't respect nor heed Lot as a father. They would rather stay than leave. And, and, and the angels are insistent. They're, they're telling Lot, you don't have much time. The time is upon us. You've got to go. You've got to leave. And it says here that they lingered. It, there was this hesitancy. It, it was all so abrupt. It all happened so fast. I mean, the, the message that they're receiving is, is an extreme message. Everyone you know is about to die. Everything you have is about to be burned. You need to get out. And Lot had a moment of hesitancy. And so it says that the angels seized him and his wife and his daughters by the hands and literally dragged them out of the city. Literally dragged them out of the city. But how does Moses describe it under the inspiration of God? Look, it says, uh, verse 16, But he lingered, so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. It seems like this violent action, the Lord being merciful. It was God's mercy as they were literally dragged away from their homes. The angels are insistent. Either you escape Sodom or you die with her. It's the only two options. Either you leave and escape the wrath, the fire to come, or you die with her. And out of however many they lived there, thousands and thousands of people, only four left. Only four. And they left only because the angels dragged them out. <laughs> because of the mercy of God. And they tell Lot, get out of the valley. You see, it was not just Sodom, it was not just Gomorrah that was going to be destroyed. God was sending his judgment upon that whole region. Those two major cities, all of the cities that would surround it. It even says to the point where he was going to burn up the ground. Did you see that? All of it. All the plant life. Animals that lived in the area. It was a total destruction of the valley. 
Oh, how the earth groans under the weight of sin, waiting for our resurrection that it too might find hope. Lot, for a reason we're not really given, says, I can't make it to the mountains. It's too far. I don't know if he thought he was too old to make it. I don't know if he just didn't think he could make that quick of a journey, that far of a journey. That it would. He told the angels, if you make me go that far, that fast, I'm going to die. So, you've had mercy on me so far. You've shown favor to me. Can I just go to that little town right there? That little town. Will you spare me there? Zoar was supposed to be destroyed. It was part of the region. He says, it's just a little town. Just a little request. I just find it fascinating. God says, okay. Okay. Shows great mercy upon him. And so he allows the four of them to go to Zoar before he sends his wrath. And that's what we need to see. It wasn't until the family was safe that God sent the fire from heaven. It wasn't until the family was safe. If you are a believer here this morning, that's you and me. That the Lord Jesus is making sure we're safe first. Because we are not destined for wrath. Just like Lot wasn't. Lot was not destined for wrath because he was a righteous man. He believed God and God had credited him for righteousness. Though he lived among such wicked people and he was a sinner himself, of course he was. But God had seen him as righteous because of his faith and saved him from his wrath. Listen, I mean, way back in, in early, early parts of Genesis, we find a man named Adam and Eve, and God, well, he tells Adam even before Eve was there, he tells Adam, there's a tree, do not eat of it. If you eat of it, you will die. And, and he eats of it, and, and some people look at that and go, well, see, he didn't die. Your God is a liar. We don't see him that way, of course not. We see a God who is slow to anger, who's patient and kind. And though he died spiritually in that moment, he began to die physically in that moment. He was separated from God in that moment. Of course, there's lots of great consequences he faced, but God is slow that we might be saved. But in Sodom and Gomorrah, we do see that there is an end to the Lord's patience. There does come a time when God sees sin where it's fully matured, where it is to the point when judgment is required. And here we see in Sodom and Gomorrah the awful, awful consequences of sin. Things that we think are just almost no big deal. <laughs> Things that we can do or think or say that we think nobody knows, it's not hurting anyone. Now we see it's hurting someone. <laughs> it's terrible. And if we've been reading from the beginning of Genesis, Sodom and Gomorrah shouldn't come as that great of a surprise. I hope we have not already forgotten the days of Noah. 
in which God on a worldwide scale destroyed everything. And it, and it upheaved the earth and, it, and the, the plants and the animals and the people and all of it was destroyed because of sin. And he did so with water, making a covenant later, saying, I'm never going to do that again with water, but now you are reserved for fire. There is coming a worldwide punishment of fire. And Sodom and Gomorrah are given to us. The, the history of it is kept for us to see what that day of judgment will be like for those who don't believe just on a small scale. And if, I, if you're reading it like I am, even on a sm small scale, it's horrific. It's horrific. And God says, take the warning. Read it. Believe it. Because it won't be on such a small scale next time. Sodom and Gomorrah's ashes remain now as a testimony of what God can and will do against sin. And what he's going to do on the great day of the Lord. In Luke chapter 17 it says this. This is Jesus' words. Just as it was in the days of Noah so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. That's his second coming. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all, meaning they weren't ready, they weren't looking, they weren't believing. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah were going on. They woke up like a regular Monday morning work day, <laughs> getting the kids off to school, getting the chores done around the house, planning their next vacation, and then destruction. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be when the Son of Man is revealed. Folks, we can get so caught up in just our daily schedules that we forget about what the Bible is teaching us and showing us. It's not, this week is not about how much you can check off on your to-do list. It is about the eternal souls of those around us. It is about the coming of Jesus. That's what it's about. This week is all about the coming of Jesus, just like every week until he comes. Being ready, being alert. And before anyone can think that Sodom didn't deserve this great destruction, we saw last week the sins that had occurred before the Lord. The prophet Ezekiel even gives us more. Right? We talked about the immorality last week. It says, And your elder sister Samaria, who lived with her... He's talking to Jerusalem, by the way, which is also horrific. The city of God, who's now going to be compared to worse than Sodom. He says, Who lived with her daughters to the north of you, and your younger sister, who lived to the south of you, is Sodom with her daughters. Not only did you walk in their ways and do according to their abominations, within a very little time you were more corrupt than they in all your ways. As I live, declares the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. But listen to what Sodom did do, though. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor 
and needy. Interesting, huh? For our own limited understanding, we wouldn't call that a crime, but God does. He says true religion is this. Take care of the widow and the orphan. Feed the hungry. Clothe the cold. Give house to the homeless, right? That is true religion. They didn't do that. They had all excess of everything and did not help those who were in need. They were haughty. Did an abomination before me. These are hard words to read. So I removed them. I removed them when I saw it. It says here that he rained down from heaven sulfur and fire burning it to the ground. It says in Deuteronomy, in the next generation, your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land will say, when they see the afflictions of that land and the sicknesses with which the Lord has made it sick, the whole land burned out with brimstone and salt, nothing sown, nothing growing, where no plant can sprout, an overthrow like that of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and wrath. So the four of them escape to Zoar and all around them fire and sulfur and destruction. And Lot's wife, against the commandment of the angel who said, don't look back. We're going to explain why that's so important in just a moment. Don't look back. Don't look at Sodom. Don't watch its destruction. Don't look. She wasn't so convinced. And she did what was in her own heart. And it says that she disobeyed the angels and she looked back and instantly she died. Remember, escape Sodom in righteousness or die with her. And it seemed she had almost every chance. She was so close. <laughs> and I really think there's a lot of people like that, in, 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 especially in our churches all over the world. They're so close. They know the gospel. They know the answers to the Bible stories. They, they sing the songs. They, they come and pray. And yet... They just don't believe. They almost escape, but they don't. Lot's wife, we're going to see in just a moment, stands as a testimony to all of us of that threat against us, that we can be so close. We can be attached to a righteous person and yet not be one ourselves. Instantly, she becomes a pillar of salt. It's hard to tell by the language what exactly happened to her. There's a lot of mystery around it, but what a pillar is, is a memorial. It's something that when you look at it, it invokes a, a memory or a remembrance. And the, the land was so fruitful at one time. Remember, that's why Lot moved there, right? 
That's why Lot chose this area from Abraham was because it would be able to feed his sheep. This was a very extremely fruitful area at one time, and now it's not. This area around the Dead Sea, so much salt in the area. What happened to this area? Well, we read about it in Genesis chapter 19. So she became like the land. She became like the consequences of the wrath of God as a memorial to all those who would, and we're going to read it here, remember Lot's wife. Abraham is also said to have looked at Sodom and Gomorrah, yet he didn't die. So there was a difference between how Lot's wife looked and Abraham looked. Okay, so, so it wasn't just setting your eyes upon it. There was something else. There was something else that brought her to die. And, and we see it even in the Hebrew language. There's two different words there. In English, they both say look. They both looked. But in Hebrew, they're two different words. Lot's wife gazed upon it, paid attention to it, had regard for it. It was a look of love. A look of, uh, you know, that's, that's where her heart was. Okay, and, and so uh, you know, obviously I'm here just trying to struggle to, to, to help you understand it. We're just going to let the Bible teach it. I think if we see these um, verses, you're going to understand a little bit more why Lot's wife died. What, what, what happened to her? The first one is going to be the people of Israel in the wilderness complaining against Moses. Then you're going to have Jesus' words about what discipleship is, and you're going to end with in Revelation, which is talking about the end society called Babylon, and when it's destroyed, and the people's reaction to it. So in all of this, I think we're going to learn a little bit more about Lot's wife. First of all, the people of Israel. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Here's Jesus' words. So someone came to him. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, and here's the key, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Look what happens in the end times. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. All right, this is Babylon we're talking about. The kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Sounds just like the warning to Lot, isn't it? Get out. Lest you take part in her sins. Lest you share in her plagues. That's the punishment that's coming. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. 
And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. Lot's wife was taken out of Sodom. God in his mercy gave her a chance to escape with her life. But the problem is, is though she physically left Sodom, her heart didn't. Her heart was still there. Her affections were still there. Her mind was still there. She didn't hate Sodom's sins. She didn't hate its culture. Her loyalty was for Sodom, not the Lord. And so as, just like they will in the future, see their, their beloved city, the one that had fed them all the passions of their flesh, that gave them everything they had ever wanted, they're watching it burn up like smoke in a furnace, and they don't fear God. They don't turn and repent of their sin and go, oh, now I understand what sin deserves. What they do is they weep because they lost everything their flesh loves. There was no change in Lot's wife. She didn't want to go. She was dragged away. She went because her husband went. And her heart made her turn and she looked back. That's what I love. And she died with it. She died with Sodom. Luke chapter 17 says this. Remember Lot's wife. Church, remember her. She is a pillar standing still today in the words of Scripture for us to look and go, oh, that's what happens if I don't have my loyalties and my affections on the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life as crucified in Christ will keep it. So let's get back to Lot. Because Lot and his daughter survive. Why was mercy shown to him? Why, why did he escape? Will you look down again, please, at verse 27? It says, And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord where he had once interceded for Sodom. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley, and he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that. When God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Why did Lot escape? Well, God gives it right to us here. Lot escaped simply because he remembered Abraham. Here's what that means. It, God remembering Abraham does not mean, okay, Abra or God thinking, Abraham's such a swell guy. <laughs> 
Abraham has done all these good things, and, and as a reward for him, I'm going to save his nephew. That's not what it means. It can't mean that. That word remembrance there is a covenant word. Of course it's not remembering the man Abraham. The man Abraham was a sinful man himself. He remembered the promise he had made to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. I'm going to be a blessing. You're going to be a blessing to all of the world. And for those who have the faith that you have in me will be rescued from death just like you. It's the gospel, right? It's the gospel. He remembered the covenant that he had made between him and Abraham. And because of that, Lot was saved. Because he was attached to Abraham by that covenant, he was saved. Lot had believed God and received the blessing of the covenant that had been promised to Abraham. He shared in the same faith and he shared in the same gift of righteousness that Abraham had been given. And that's why. The only reason Lot was saved from the fire of heaven was because he was in covenant with God, the covenant that was given first to Abraham. So let's not get confused that Lot was saved for any other reason. He was saved because he was connected to Abraham, right? And the covenant that God had with him. That's it. Abraham was saved through faith. So was Lot. But are we saved because of our connection to Abraham? I'm going to say no. Not necessarily. So let's get into our application and explain this a little further for us. Our applications for today. First one is this. Only those who are connected in faith to Jesus, Abraham's offspring, will escape the judgment to come. We are sharing in what is called the new covenant. And that new covenant is dependent only on Abraham's offspring. It's always been about Abraham's offspring, hasn't it? It's always been. Your offspring is going to... And, and, and Paul even says the offspring is singular, talking about Jesus the Christ. So you and I, we are just like everyone else in all of the world under the judgment of God because of our sin, the only way to escape our Sodom, the only way is if we're connected to the one through whom the covenant comes. That's it. We must believe in Christ and in that receive his righteousness. And because Jesus is the faithful and obedient son of God who has conquered sin and death, our rescue can only be found in him. There's no other way. There's no other fire exit. None. Except the door who Jesus says, I am the door. So Romans chapter 5 tells us this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through Jesus the Lord. That's it. Lot was only saved out of Sodom because he was connected to Abraham and the covenant given to him. The only way we can be saved is for our connection to Jesus and the covenant that comes through him. That's 
the only way. And for those who believe on Jesus Christ, for those who have repented of sin, who will follow him as a disciple, it says you are saved from the wrath to come. It is not destined for you. You will be resurrected, brought to the presence of the Lord Jesus before he destroys it all. (laughs) Praise be to God. (laughs) But here's the thing. Here's the problem I have. You look at the statistics and it says that the vast majority of the world are Christian. I look at the Bible, at what Jesus says a Christian is, and I'm thinking the world should look a lot different if most of the worlds are Christians. It can't be true. Much of the world's Christians are self-proclaimed. Take that as a warning. They're like Lot's wife. Okay? Listen to this. God requires our allegiance and our affection to be his disciple. He requires our heart. He requires us to die to ourselves. We cannot hold on to the hem of Jesus' garment while looking back longingly at everything that we're leaving behind. That's not a disciple. That doesn't work. To be a true disciple of Jesus Christ... is a a whole transformation of our being to where our love is no longer for Sodom or Babylon or whatever city you want to call it, the world system, but now it's for Jesus. We long for him. We love for him. If If he tells us to get out, we get out. We don't have to be dragged because we're following him. He's our shepherd and we are his sheep. Right? I mean, look at, Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is even fit for the kingdom of God. I think Jesus is telling us that there's a lot of people who say, I'm a disciple of Christ. And they're not. Because they still love the world. They still live for the world system. The things that please them are worldly things. Things they're living for are worldly things. And yet, You know, they can go to church on Sunday, so they're a Christian. No. The call to discipleship is far more stricter than that. It's a call to die to ourselves that we may live in him. And lastly, may our hearts rejoice in the mercy of God. (laughs) That even if any of us would even have a chance to escape Sodom. May our hearts rejoice in the great mercy of God. What I find fascinating here, and maybe the fascinating is not the right word, I don't know, but God was showing such mercy upon Lot and his family, and it irritated his wife. God's mercy angered her. God's mercy frustrated her because it's not what she wanted. And she died in her sin. May we who love the Lord Jesus rejoice that he would even have any sort of mercy on us this morning. Look what Paul writes. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that's the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm. He is the confirmation of the promises given to the patriarchs, Abraham, right? 
in order, all right, this is why he did it, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. <laughs> that we who were once far off from the Lord praise him. That is, it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Oh, may our hearts just be so glad. May we be warmed on the, at least on the inside today. <laughs> that God would love us so. And that he would send Jesus. He didn't send angels this time, right? He sent the one who's above the angels. He sent Christ to be a servant for us. And he's compelling us. Escape. Escape. Follow me. I went through death for you. That you might not be touched by the fire that's to come. And that you can live forever with the Lord. Our Father, I thank you for your mercy. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were still enemies of God, you loved us. Pursued us. That you came to us to pull us out. And it is, all, it is all the mercy of God. Father, we live in Sodom. We live in a world that celebrates immorality. We live in a world that uses people for their own benefit. And, and God, such, such were we once. So, Lord, I pray for the souls of the lost. Those people in our families, those people in our homes, those neighbors of ours, those, those co-workers. Father, I pray this week we won't be so concentrating on the things that we just need to get done, but that we'll see people. Help us to see people, to really listen to people to hear their griefs, to hear their fears, to hear their stresses, and then to give them the word of God, the calming for their souls. Father, do that through us. Work through us. May we be the messengers now that grab people by the hands and say, escape, you need to escape. The Lord Jesus is coming. And when he comes, it is good news for his saints, resurrected unto brand new, wondrous life. But for those who are left behind, it is not good. For it is what sin deserves. So Lord, thank you for this story. Thank you for this chapter. It is a tough chapter to read. It's a tough chapter to preach. It's a tough chapter to hear. But it is necessary for our souls. So will you use it for the benefit of our hearts, Spur us on to what we are called for. In Jesus' name, amen.